0: Well, brothers and sisters, happy Christ the King Sunday, a Sunday where we celebrate the gospel that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is King over all. In the church calendar, this is the last Sunday of ordinary time before we begin the season of Advent next Sunday. Uh, This is also Thanksgiving week as you prepare for the festivities and kind of the beginning of what you might call the cultural holiday season. Um, so this is a time where, as, as a culture, we tend to think about the, the joy of the holidays. Um, and I want to say to you this morning that finding joy in God, in the midst of life's burdens and chaos, is something God invites us to do for our own good. If you know the response, I want you to say it with me. God is good. All and all the time. God is good. good, you guys are good. Not all the times are good, right? That's not what it says. Not all the times are good, but even in those times, God is still good. And we need that reminder. Paul says in that passage we read this morning, Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Paul says it kind of in a different way in 1 Thessalonians. He says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The biblical scholar, the late Gordon Fee, in my opinion, one of the greatest biblical scholars of our generation, he, he recently passed away and I had the privilege of, actually his daughter is a biblical scholar, a theologian in her own right, and she taught at Northern Seminary when I was a student there. I'd love to honor Gordon Fee and his work by quoting from his commentary on this passage, uh, referencing 1 Thessalonians. Gordon Fee writes, Paul's emphasis here is not so much on the experience of joy, but on the active expression of it. They are to rejoice always, which as Philippians 4.4 4 bears out, means not simply to express joy in general, but specifically to rejoice in the Lord. This is not a sugar-coated call for putting on a happy face in the midst of difficulties. Here is a church that is undergoing severe hardship because of its faith in Christ. God's will for such a community, both as individuals and as they gather for worship, is that as a matter of first importance, they continue to exalt Christ by rejoicing with him as the focus, with him, with Christ, knowing Christ. Is the focus, as we sang earlier. So friends, essential to our flourishing is the active expression of our joy in Jesus. And I think when you hear the word rejoice in Scripture, when you come across that word, or as you sing it in a song, I think internally you might uh, hear the, the command to be joyful, to feel joyful. But it might be, hor- be more helpful to, to hear in your mind when you, when you read that word, to hear practice joy. Practice joy. Practice joy in the Lord. Express joy in the Lord. Express your joy in Jesus. That's what is the, the main thrust of what Paul is getting at. And I think re- rejoicing in God, it's, it's an undervalued spiritual practice. And so today as we conclude our sermon series, Growing Together, Flourishing as Disciples in Community, I want to say to you that we cannot flourish without expressing joy without expressing joy finding joy in jesus we will languish in the defeat and darkness and despair that this world and satan throw at us and i really believe that i think the spirit put this on my heart this morning that i believe god would invite each and every one of us to find our joy in him in this season to delight in him, to rejoice in him, and to rejoice in the gifts that he has given us. And so this morning, I want to highlight uh, five practices. Five practices for expressing and finding joy in God. And not, This is not a to-do list. This is not a list of obligations I'm giving you. This is an invitation to find ways to express your joy in Christ. And most of these are probably not considered your standard evangelical spiritual discipline of reading your Bible in quiet time with God. So this might actually open you up to new ways of growing in your relationship with Jesus. So the first practice I want to highlight this morning is singing. Singing. Let's take a look at a few psalms. Psalm 511. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. And Psalm 81 Sing for joy to God, our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. I mean, we could give a hundred other examples. You know this that joy and singing are intimately connected in the whole Bible, but especially in the Psalter. We are called to express our joy, to sing for joy. Singing joyfully with music helps us to do this. And I think one of the most beautiful things about this is God is inviting us to do something that he is already doing over us. One of my favorite passages in scripture, Zephaniah 3.17. I think I have this for you on the screen. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Can you hear the Lord speaking that to you right now? God is rejoicing over you with singing. Can you imagine the creator God? Our Lord Jesus Christ reigning over all. Christ the King singing over you, rejoicing over who you are. I think there is hardly a more intimate and joyful act than singing to somebody else. I'll never forget when my best friend from high school got married. It was a a very special wedding. I got to be a a groomsman in the wedding. And uh, we wore white tuxedos. It was, we were looking pretty good, I have to say. (laughs) It was was fun. It was a a joyous day. It was a beautiful ceremony. There was a foot washing. There was all the traditional liturgy. It was awesome. But I'll never forget when my, my best friend, Brandon, he surprised his bride, Re- Rebecca, by bringing out a guitar that was hidden uh, in, the, in the back of the sanctuary, and he brings it out, and he sings a song, an original song, that he wrote for his wife. And I actually called him this morning to make sure I get the, the lyrics right. I said, hey man, what, what did you sing to her? And he said that the chorus went like this, God has given me a beautiful woman to love and to hold god has given me so much more than i deserve my heart's true love my heart's true love when he finished singing that song there was not a dry eye in that room and i i find myself almost crying right now when i think about him singing that to his bride so powerful the god of the universe sings over you He rejoices over you. I have a beautiful man or woman. You are my beloved to have and to hold. You are mine. God sings this over you and he invites us to experience this joy, to sing in the song of the universe, to find his love, his delight, and his joy. Keith and Kristen Getty write, to praise God is the original desire sown into every fiber of our God-designed humanity and into every aspect of our God-designed world. When we sing God's praise, we join with the tune of the cosmos. Did you ever consider that music and singing, they didn't have to exist? It's like we can literally, you can physically survive without music. You can go a long time. But could you survive spiritually without it? I doubt it. I doubt it. Rejoicing and singing are are intimately connected. And if we want to express and find joy in God, we can turn to the gift of music and singing that he's given us, allowing us to connect with him and delight in him. St. Augustine said, or, well, he might have inspired this quote, but it says, He who sings, prays twice. He who sings, prays twice. When you sing, you... you, he means you, you have to exert more emotion and energy and you, you take your prayer to the next level and it intensifies what we are saying. And if you're a person, man, you, you, you feel like you're struggling to pray. You're like, I'm in, I'm in a dry season with God. I'm, I, my quiet time with God just isn't working right now. Try singing instead. Honestly, try a different spiritual practice and express your joy in God. It counts as a spiritual discipline. In fact, it might be more than that, because according to Augustine, it may be the highest form of prayer we can engage in, because God is singing over us. So that's one practice to consider. Another practice to consider this season is the practice of feasting. The practice of feasting. There are many examples of this throughout Scripture. But in, the, in the book of Esther, God saves his people, the Jews, from being wiped out by the Persians, through the exploits of Queen Esther and her uncle Mordecai. After they successfully turned things around, it says this in Esther 9, Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes near and far to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. I don't know about you, but the description of this celebration just reminds me a lot about Christmas. It reminds me of the kinds of things that are celebrated and recommended at at this time. I think of my favorite Christmas story, A Christmas Carol. The gifts to the poor, the feasting, the merrymaking, all those things we're invited to do in this season. And I find it interesting that when God set up his own nation, when he set up the nation of Israel, and God got to determine their rhythms, their celebrations, he said there are going to be three annual feasts. You're going to, sell, you're going to come to Jerusalem three times in a year. Take off work. Bring the animals. Bring your offerings. Feast and rejoice before me in my presence as a community. And we know those feasts as Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. See, God wanted his people to set aside lots of time, lots of time every year, to come together as a community to feast and to celebrate and to rejoice. And sometimes I wonder if we're not impoverished spiritually for not feasting together like they did in the Old Covenant. You know, I went to family camp growing up. Did anybody go to family camp growing up? Any family campers here? Come on, don't leave me alone. Raise your hand. Loud and proud. Thank you. Okay, just a few of you. Uh, but it was, a, it was a joyous time. Everyone had, had taken off work and you'd come for a week with Christian brothers and sisters and you would, you'd feast in the dining commons and there was singing and you enjoyed creation. And sometimes I wonder, what would change if we spent time doing that today? If we feasted together like they did in the Old Covenant, taking off work to be together rejoice in his creation, feast, and enjoy life. Now, maybe this is a pie-in-the-sky vision, but perhaps time and space don't allow for this type of feasting, but it is something that we can incorporate into our life together as a church and into our day-to-day lives with others. In Acts 2, 46-47, it says, they broke bread in their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. I like think part of feasting is this the attitude that we bring to it. We bring an attitude of, of celebration and joy, being grateful for the good food and community. The writer of Ecclesiastes also encourages us to embrace the gift of feasting. I commend the enjoyment of life because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and to be glad. Now, the writer of Ecclesiastes is not advocating a selfish, or a gluttonous lifestyle or anything like that. There is balance. In fact, fasting and feasting can make a wonderful rhythm to your life. But feasting is about embracing the good that God has allowed us to enjoy. And just like with music, God didn't have to make food good. He could have made it just totally bland, just for your sustenance, only enough to make you keep, keep you alive. But no, he made it good. It's a gift that he wants you to enjoy to receive of the food that he brings forth from the earth. And in proper context and moderation, they are gifts from God to be enjoyed. And so feasting is a spiritual practice that helps us express our joy in God. A third practice that I invite you to consider this season is the practice of gratitude. Paul said, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances Where this is God's will for you. Wow. You ever wonder what God's will for you is? God, what is your will for my life? What do you want me to do? It's right here. Right here. I mean, we pray every week, right? God, your kingdom come, your will be done. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But can we think about putting this into practice? We say we want God's will. This is God's will for you. Rejoice always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. His desire, his will, is that you would rejoice always and give thanks. He would love for you to do this, to rejoice always, to do these things. Because it's for our own good. It's for our own good. And we can know that we're out of his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's not good for us if we're rejoicing little, praying little, and giving thanks little. We can know for sure that we're out of his will if that characterizes the general aspect of our lives. I think God wills this for us because he wants us to enjoy him. He wants, can you think about that? God wants you to enjoy him. He wants you to enjoy the life he's given you. He wants you to enjoy your very breath. He wants you to enjoy the relationships he's given you, the food he's given you to eat. God wants you to be thankful for these things. And when you're thankful for these things, it actually increases your joy. It allows you to express your joy. As C.S. Lewis says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy Because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It's a point of consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it is expressed. We express our gratitude to God for all the good things. Every good and perfect gift coming down from the Father above Another practice I would commend to you this season is the practice of giving. In this passage that was read for us this morning, Paul is grateful for the gifts that the church in Philippi has sent him. Their giving was their expression of their love and concern for Paul and it caused Paul to rejoice greatly in the Lord. I think giving may be the most practical way to spread the joy and love of God everywhere. Jesus said, It is more blessed. Happier is the person who gives rather than receives. It's better to give than to receive. In 2 Corinthians 9, it says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God loves when we cheerfully give. And Paul basically adds a promise to that. You can cheerfully give. You can give it all away because God is going to cause all things to abound to you. So you can give without having to worry about your needs. Because God will provide. So take joy. Joyfully give away money and possessions because God will cause all things to abound. He is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is that we would rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances, pray continually, and I think biblically we can add, cheerfully give. Cheerfully give. God wants these things for us because yes because they are morally right but they're also what's best for our souls it's how he made us going back to my favorite story a christmas carol you know scrooge is the extreme example but he is he is the logical conclusion to a heart that prefers to hoard rather than to give but when his eyes are opened to the pain that he's caused himself, the pain around him, the the pain he's caused others, and he is given a second chance, he realizes the joy of giving. He realizes the joy of being generous and spreading joy through giving to others. Now, I really don't believe any person here is a Scrooge. Hopefully I'm not wrong about that. But do you prefer to get rather than to give? Do you tend to hoard and, or maybe harden your heart to the needs around you? Or are you open? Are you someone who cheerfully, who joyfully gives of the things God has given you? And truly, if you're not, you're missing out on the joy of life and and eternal rewards by not practicing the joy of giving. Now, I may not be the ghost of Christmas past this morning. But allow me to wake you up to the need of joyful Selfless living and giving. You're not in a dream right now, but right now is another chance. You're still alive. Right now you have a chance to go back out there and to live selflessly, joyously, giving cheerfully of your time, your talents, your treasures for the sake of Christ and spreading his joy to all creation. Would you consider how you might be invited into the practice of giving this season? And finally, our final practice I'd like to invite you to consider is the practice of Sabbath and rest. Sabbath and rest. I, I was joking with Rick Wolf earlier this week that I'm, I'm giving a Rick Wolf sermon. Uh, because if you know Rick, he's always talking about 2 Corinthians 9 and God causing all things to abound. And he's always talking about the delight of Sabbath. And I invite you to look at these words from Isaiah 58. I think I have them for you on the screen. Here we go. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. See how it's connected to Paul? In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land, and to feast, there it is, and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God's commands invite us to delight. They invite us to joy. We can view his commands as a burden, but I think that's a tool of Satan. Satan. If you start viewing his commands as a burden, that's exactly what Satan wants you to think think about him. But the Bible says God's commands are not burdensome. That's a lie. It's a lie from the enemy. His commands are not burdensome. And like the psalmist, we have to practice rejoicing in God's commands. Psalm 19, 47 says, I delight in your commands because I love them. I love them. They're my delight. They're my joy. And... They're not a burden. So I invite you to rest, but you might be wondering, gosh, I'm, Nate, I'm so, I'm so busy. How can I find time to rest when I'm so busy? There's so many parties this holiday season. How am I going to rest? <laughs> our friends, consider it not a burden, but an invitation to enjoy. We're being invited to enjoy, enjoy our Creator, to enjoy His creation, and to enjoy the people that God's made. By the way, that's what they could do on the first Sabbath, if you think about it. What could Adam and Eve do? There wasn't things around like we have today. What could they actually do on the the first Sabbath? They could enjoy God. They could enjoy his creation, what he made. And they could enjoy each other. If If you want a framework for practicing Sabbath, there it is. Enjoy God. Go enjoy his creation. Go explore. Go have fun. And enjoy each other. Enjoy the people, the friendships, the relationships he's given you. Friends, do you see how this is not a burdensome command? This is inviting you to delight in the good things God's made. So let me just encourage you, in, in whatever way the Holy Spirit might lead you, take time to rest. Take time to enjoy. Take time to get away and be with Jesus, to enjoy your family, to enjoy your friends, to enjoy food, to enjoy your church community. And if you can, Sabbath is a delight. I speak from personal experience. I can't imagine my life without the Sabbath. It is a delight. Would you hear Jesus' invitation? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, God's will, God's will for you, God's will for me, God's will for us is to rejoice always in the Lord, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances. Consider how you might find and express your joy in God by singing, making music, by feasting, by practicing gratitude, being thankful, practicing giving And finding time for Sabbath and rest. And remember, in all of these practices, friends, it's not about the practices themselves. It's not about finding joy yourself. It's about Jesus. These are things that help us rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in him. These are the gifts he has given us to enjoy and thereby find our joy in him. So as I close this morning, let me just ask you this. What's one thing that God might invite you to do this season so that you can practice and express your joy in him? Is there one thing the Holy Spirit might invite you to do so that you can practice and express joy in Christ this holiday season? Let's pray.